This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello and welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Peter Gowers and joining me as always is my co-host Leon Logan-Nathan. I'm actually not going to let him say his own name this time because I can't trust that he'll do it properly. Good morning, my friend. Hi, man. Actually, like you say my name, it's uh, you, you do it a lot more professionally than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I guess uh, maybe we could slot into that from here on in. Sounds like a plan. Man, I've got to say um, we are 70-plus episodes in uh, to the Territory Story podcast. Um, as, as you know and as our listeners know that my background is in commercial radio and I've been podcasting with you for quite some time and obviously video blogging, video blogging in real estate days. Um, I've interviewed celebrities, I've interviewed musicians, I've interviewed politicians and you've finally managed to achieve one thing that uh, didn't really ever get achieved in my professional broadcasting career and that is, you've got me out of my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> because unlike any other guests we've had on the podcast, the two that you've decided to invite on today can unleash all those deep, dark secrets that we may not have wanted them to, but you've given them an open mic. So beware, my friend, beware. Yes, well, you know, we wanted to do this last year, if you recall, and uh, for reasons I can't recall, um, we didn't get around to organising ourselves to do it. But I just thought, um, you know, Mother's Day is always a special day on the calendar and, you know, everyone has a mum. So I thought it would be a good thing for us to do uh, to release a podcast that, you know, where we interviewed our mothers. Yeah, well, as I say, it's... it's uh it's a good idea, but you've uh, you've changed the goalpost somewhat now, my friend. All right. Well, I'll leave you to uh, to direct this, mate. So um, let's first introduce our guests uh, in no particular order. Uh, my mother, Catherine Gowers. Hello, everybody. Or, or Big Gran, as she's known around my family. <laughs> and Leon's mother, Lena Logan Nathan. Hello, everybody. And, Welcome to the two of you. And, Thank you. And uh, Apache, as she's known in my family. <laughs> oh, there you go. Apache. What does that translate to? Dad's mother. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Appa is dad. Yep. And then she's a grandmother. Appa's grandmother, dad's mother. In which okay. language is that? Tamil. Tamil, okay. And Lynn's Ben calls me Amama because it's mum's mother. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Very good. Well, what we're going to do for the purposes of, uh, I guess, uh, getting to know each other is I'm going to uh, ask Lena a series of questions about Leon, and then Leon's going to ask my mother a series of questions about me, and hopefully at the end of it we're all still friends. (laughs) (laughs) Or related. (laughs) (laughs) So, Lena, welcome. Um, as as we said before we started recording, you and I do have some uh, knowledge of each other because we do some business together. So it's, uh, as you say, it's nice to put a face to the name. 
so so welcome and and you know to both of the mothers we thank you because it it may well be outside of your comfort zone as well to you know come on a podcast but it's um as leon said something we've wanted to do for a while and we just thought with mother's day it's a it's a really good time to to introduce both of you to our listeners so lena um I guess I wanted to start with you, mm-hmm. uh, firstly and foremostly. Where were you born? I was born in Malaysia. Okay. But your your heritage is not Malaysian, right? Sri Lankan. Sri Lankan, I'm a, okay. I'm a, Tamil. I'm a Tamil from Sri Lanka. Okay. So so how, how did your family come to be in Malaysia? My grandmother um, uh, came to Malaysia with her youngest brother. So long before she got married, she came with, uh, you know, they just decided to go looking for greener pastures. Okay. They both came to Malaysia and then she got married. And that's how the family started. And my mother was born. And then my mother got married and I was born. And then I got married and Leon was born. Wow. So do you still have some links back to Malaysia now? Yes, I have. Okay. I do have relatives, but I've got a whole host of um, classmates. We all finished O levels in 1958, and we still have a group chat. And we meet once. We were meeting once in ten years before, and then we brought it to once in five years. And a couple of um, people fell off the perch, so we yeah. decided we couldn't wait for another five years. <laughs> Then we made it two years, and then we were supposed to have met this year in April. Oh, it's April now. I was supposed to have been in Malaysia in April. I booked my ticket and all, but coronavirus stopped us. Right, of course. Mm-hmm. Apologies for the background noise. Uh, Angus thought it would be an appropriate time to let me listen to his <laughs> little toy game. Uh, so when when you were in Malaysia growing up, uh, obviously... You went to school, and Leon has said to me that um, English is his first language. So, did you go to a, a, an English-speaking school? No, I, when I was, my father grew, um, worked in a rubber estate, so I was born in a rubber estate in Klang, Malaysia. So, I was too young to go to an English school, and so the first school was the school that was established for the, um, the estate children. And they were all Indians from India. So the school was in Tamil. So my wow. mother appropriately sent me off there. So my first language I learned how to read and write was in Tamil. Um, okay. You should probably explain, um, I mean, you mentioned India there, but you said you're from Sri Lanka. Yes. But then you're saying that everybody spoke Tamil. So why is it that Indians and Sri Lankans speak Tamil? The South Indians speak Tamil. North Indians speak Hindi, Bengali and all the other languages. South India, from Madras right up to the bottom, they speak Tamil. And in Sri Lanka, south of Sri Lanka, Colombo and all are, are Sinhalese. The north, there's only up the call a place called Jaffna and Trinko. Those two provinces speak Tamil. So our um, great-grandparents and all come from Jaffna in the north, and they speak Tamil. But the Indians in Malaysia who came from the uh, from India to work in the rubber estates, they came from India, and because they are from South India, they spoke Tamil. 
So Hindi is the national language of India, though, right? It is. So did, did the Tamil-speaking Indians also speak Hindi? Now they do. Those right. days, there was very little uh, opportunity. Now yeah. they're, they're not only just bilingual, most of them can speak three or four languages. Yeah. yeah and, that, and that's my understanding of, of um, you know, talking to people I worked with overseas is that uh, I remember, I said this to Leon before, I, I remember a conversation that was, was happening between a, uh, a Pakistani and an Indian who are both from um, the Kashmiri part of their respective countries, mm-hmm. who, who, who both spoke their native languages, which they could converse in that language. Wow. Um, mm. but, but they were both speaking in Hindi in front of me. And I, I asked them at one stage, what language are you speaking? And they said, oh, we're speaking in Hindi. Mm. And I said, why is that? And they said, because our mother tongue is a very foul language and out of respect to you, we're speaking in Hindi. All right. And I said, but I don't understand either of them. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they, yeah, it was, it was bizarre to me. Okay. So, so did you grow up speaking Tamil in your home or Tamil and English? Tamil and English, because okay. both my parents spoke English. Yep. So I was almost instantly, I was like bilingual. Yep. But I also can speak Malay. So right. I speak three languages. Wow. Okay. Uh, so when I go to Malay and I go to the market or the taxi driver, I just rattle off in, in Malay and they're just taken up, taken by surprise. Is it what? You know, mm. but um, I'm losing yeah. it a bit, but it, it comes back very quickly, even Tamil. When I haven't spoken Tamil for a long time and somebody rocks up to my home and they can only speak Tamil, I'm, I flounder over a couple of words and then I substitute it with an English word. But when I'm in the company of Tamil-speaking people, within a couple of hours, I can speak fluently. I would have thought in this day and age it would be a rare occasion when someone turns up to your house in Perth and they can only speak Tamil. Oh, yes, the, the, the grandparents of the children I tutor. Right. Okay. Right, have very limited. They've come from Sri Lanka. So they wow. have not. Um, and I think also they're uncomfortable sure. speaking English. Yeah. And they think to a teacher, right? Of course. So they rather speak Tamil. So just for um, the purposes of our listeners, um, this is only something that I learned in, in the last recent years, but Malaysia is a very big and spread out country. So what part of Malaysia were you from? Well, I come from a place just south of Kuala Lumpur, the capital. Okay. And I'm about uh, 25 um, miles away towards the port, and the port is Port Swetnam. Right. Like that was a, that it still is a port. Yeah. And, and Klang is sandwiched in between. Okay. So that's, that's the part of Malaysia that most people would know. But, um, you know, there's, there's, there's parts that are... Uh, up past Darwin Way, aren't they, Leon? What do you mean? A Sabah and... Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sabah so Saba, Saba and Sarawak mm. are on the east coast on the island of Borneo. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so fast forward, uh, you, you obviously grew up there and, and um, you know, multiple generations grew up there. And then at some point you you had children of your own. Now, I'm interested to learn about Leon's 
early childhood. What, what, what was he like as a baby? <laughs> <laughs> we, we have no other nickname we can give him but a monkey. <laughs> a cheeky monkey. <laughs> he, he would just climb anywhere and everywhere. Wow. We had collapsible doors, you know, and it's sort of you bring the doors for security, like our security doors, but it's collapsible and right. it's iron. For whatever reason, if you just leave him anywhere near there, he'll scramble up there, but he can't come down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then he'll scream his head off, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, and we say, die up there, no? <laughs> but no matter how many times he's smack him and then bring him down, he will climb again. Mm. Sounds like we come from the same school of parenting. (laughs) (laughs) And and my kids are just as good at listening. Now, um, I think the the question on the tip of everybody's tongue, I know know the listeners are dying to know, how was he with his potty training? (laughs) Leon, (laughs) see, his potty training happened in London. And I was hard-pressed for time because I had to get Leon organized, take him to the babysitter, and then race back, walk. Everything is walking, walking. So I could take him in the pushchair to the babysitter's home, race back, and then go to school. So it's all a matter of getting everything organized. So he sits on the potty, and I feed him his porridge at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, while you're eating this, do it. And he, he opens his mouth and swallows his porridge. And then when he's finished, he got up. He said, I did it. I did it. <laughs> brilliant. I didn't expect that answer, but that's brilliant. That's gold. <laughs> so fast forward to eight-year-old Leon and your family moved to Australia. What prompted that? Oh, it was just an absolute freak. I had no intention of coming to Australia. Nothing. I had a good job. I actually moved to um, a Muslim, uh, like a university, pre-university kind, and I had a good job there. But two Chinese chemistry and physics lecturers, young girls, uh, spinsters, had some idea to come to Australia. But they knew that I had traveled a bit and, you know, I could speak uh, the English language a little clearer than them. We were carpooling. So they told me, can you come with us to the Australian High Commission? We just need to get a couple of forms. We want to migrate there, hopefully. And um, we just need someone to help us to do that because we don't want to upset the Australian High Commission. So that day, we just went straight there and I picked up, they picked up their forms and I thought, what does it stop me from picking up a form? So I picked one, picked one, brought it and I left it in the drawer because I was expecting Lynn then. Mm. I didn't know what, what our status would be. So as soon as Lynn was born, <laughs> we filled the form and within three months we got approved to come to Australia. Wow. <laughs> Medical was paid, everything was paid and we came to Australia. And, and Leon at eight years of age, was he bilingual? He could speak a, a spattering of Tamil words, which... When he was three and four years old, before he started school, I sent him to a Tamil teacher down the road. And that was the only place he could ride his tricycle. He was permitted to ride his tricycle from our house to that teacher's house. Mm. That was his incentive to learn Tamil. 
<laughs> and he did learn. He did learn a few Tamil proverbs and several sentences. I don't think he can remember anything now. Mm. Is that a um, uh, a sense of loss of of something for you having a second native tongue and your children or one of your children at least not not being able to speak that? I think they have a sense of regret. Lynn has told me many times, "Why didn't you beat us and keep the language?" <laughs> right. But the father wasn't interested. Right. So when we came to Perth, actually a good family friend of ours, whose three children were attending Tamil classes here, came and visited us and said, look, you don't have to worry. I've got a wagon, station wagon. I can pick up your three children. And mm. um, I'll take them to the city. And there are Tamil classes. After mm. that friend left the house, he said, what is, what's wrong with that bugger? We didn't come here to learn Tamil. We came to run away from that. And then and he said, no, not interested. That was back in the days when kids could still travel in the boots of cars too, I yes, think. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Leon, do you, do you remember any Tamil? Oh, a little bit, but... Uh, Just the rude words? No, 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 I didn't, I didn't learn any rude words, to be honest. Uh, it was... Most of the Tamil that I learned was from my grandparents yelling at me in Tamil, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Don't. Stop. Smack. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, so there was a bit of that. But um, I I just find it really interesting, you know, that that uh, that was my dad's uh, view of Tamil. And look, to be fair to my dad, I don't think my mum pushed it very hard either. But, you know, living here in Darwin and, you know, obviously Darwin's got quite a large Greek population. Mm. It never ceases to surprise me how the Greeks in Darwin, even though mm. they're born here yes. in Darwin, still are very, very culturally Greek in every mm. way, including yes. and including the language. And they all can speak fluent Greek, mm. you know. But I went to meet with a bloke uh, probably four or five years ago now in near Casuarina regarding putting solar on his roof he would have been no more than 25 years old and his aunt had to translate for him because he he had been kept in whatever community he's greek being kept in amongst his community and he couldn't converse with me well enough in english to hold a conversation that's sad yeah and and Mm. look you know i'll give you the flip side of that is that I know a lot of Australians find it very frustrating and you guys would be exactly the same where people have lived in the country for generations and, and hidden away from the language and, and still aren't proficient enough to hold a conversation. Yes. yes. Well, that's what Pauline Hanson would, would, uh, would term, I think, uh, what was the word, what was the phrase that she used? Enclaves, Asian enclaves. Yes, I think. Asian enclaves. Well, I'm actually, and I'm not, Highlighting the Asians in that, I remember, and and Catherine can confirm if this is right or wrong, but I know that the Italians in Melbourne yes. were often accused yes. of that, and same yeah. with the Greeks. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, but yeah. the Chinese too, all the Chinese children yeah, speak that's Chinese. True. They all can speak Chinese. Yeah. Right? yeah. Mm. Well, look, if, the, the if you Indian, believe the conspiracy theorists that... But sorry, but Indians... The Hindus, the Hindus amongst the Indians, all of the children can speak Tamil. Mm. Right? That's an amazing thing 
because culturally they go to the temple and they're involved with Tamil dances and Tamil singing and all of it, so they can. But I think, don't you think, Mum, the reason for that, I mean, and I get this from speaking to a few of our other relatives, um, um, it, it seems to me the reason why we t- drifted away from Tamil uh, and, and hung on to English so so strongly was because there was a fear of not being properly educated. Because when you talk to, you know, I mean, if my grandmother, for example, you know, you used to say to me, and I've said this to you, Pete, many times, you know, you're not a man unless you you go to university, you know, you have to have a degree and, you know, all that sort of stuff mm. was drummed into you by the, from the time you were a kid. But I, I learned that my great-great-grandfather, Howland Chalapa, mm. uh, you know, he sent his children to be educated uh, with the missionaries in, in Sri Lanka on the on the basis that they became Christians and, you know, and, and that's how they would be educated. But it was all in English. So, you know, the, 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 the medium of instruction was in English. And therefore, I suspect, and I could be wrong about this, that the push away from Tamil to English was purely one of uh, e- economic uh, yes, yes, reasons. And also, um, the, you know, primarily they all would have been Hindus. And um, the, 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 in, the incentive to become a Christian, when poor people, like my grandfather, my, he says grandfather, is actually Leon's great, great, great grandfather, Howland Chalapa. He is, was uh, um, nicknamed Rice Bowl Christian. <coughs> there were mm. opportunities if you became a Christian, they will give you opportunities for your children and education, blah, blah, blah. So they were all labeled rice bowl Christians. And mm. in, my, in my view, I couldn't care what bowl they were. I'm thank God they all became <laughs> Christians. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, um, it's a subject that, that we may get onto down the track, but... The- <laughs> That could be the end of the podcast, mate. <laughs> For good. I, I, might, I may just ask the last question, hit record and walk away. So um, what number are we on now? Number three. I think two or three. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll finish this in an hour, Leon. <laughs> All right, let's make it six. Um, Lena, would you describe Leon as a typical first child? And by that I mean a bit of a leader, domineering, opinionated, the, the sort of the captain of the team, so to speak, amongst the kids. You just felt him exactly as he is. Mm. He was a good uh, <clears throat> number one son. Ian worshipped him, right, wanted to do everything Leon was doing. And Lynn was a spoiled brat. <laughs> Got everything she wanted, but in a different way. Yep. But as they grew up, Leon was very responsible. Mm. <clears throat> you know, I could leave Leon in the house. I was, um, we, we, Noel and I parted company when Leon was in year 11. So, and then I moved out and found a place. Of course, t- two nights of the week, I have to go to TAFE to teach. But I had no worries at all that Leon would take charge of the house and everything would go well. Mm. And he did, he did. And in the early stages, Leon had very strict um, rules and regulations. They used to be listening because with their father, they got interested in a music band called Kiss. 
Yes. I know the horrible faces and black faces. <laughs> I know them well. I, Played them many times. And then when Leon became a Christian, he just took the whole of all of those records, you know, the I don't know what they called it, with last 45 yep. us, yep. to the back, and he had a bonfire, and he told his brother to help him to burn all of it. What was that about? Bonfire and outside. <clears throat> then he said, that's it. No more kiss in our house. That's Why? <clears throat> because he said they were set satanic. What? Ah. Well, when you played the albums backwards. Yeah, it says <laughs> something smoke marijuana. Smoke. Actually, Leon pulled it out, turned the tape the other way, and then redid it, and then put it back on the cassette player, and then you could hear the message. Smoke marijuana, smoke marijuana, smoke marijuana. Ah. But of course, in this day and age, that's not satanic at all. That's medicinal. <laughs> <laughs> so fast forward 25 years and it was for good, not for evil. Imagine that. <laughs> wow. So was there anything else that he burnt at, at his um, satanic ritual? The, the cane, the rotan. Because when, we, when I came from Malaysia, we packed everything and we have these beautiful canes to whack the children. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I packed a, a half a dozen of them. And then, of course, every now and then you see it split. Um, we didn't touch it. It split by itself. Mm. Right? A cane that is put on top of the fridge can split by itself. Right? Mm. <clears throat> but um, then... They, I don't know how, it just got lost and we, we didn't have any. Then one of my um, relatives was coming from Malaysia. So he said, is there anything you want me to bring from there? I said, yes, bring a couple of canes. So he brought the canes. Pack a bag full. <laughs> he brought the canes and I think it was Leon who destroyed them. Mm. And um, he, he took the initiative, said, we're not going to have this. And that was the end of we never had the games. Wow. It just so disappeared. So that, that's unusual that the best behaved child would be um, rebelling against the, uh, the disciplinary device. I don't know. I think uh, it was only in the very early stages that Leon got whacked. Mm. But, but after about the time he came to Australia, I didn't, but oh, he got some couple of whacks from his dad though. Did you... Um, did you feel there are any cultural differences at that stage uh, between disciplining your children? Because it's very much out of favour these days. But um, was out it of still cultural perhaps? I'll preempt that. It's out of favour, yet still legal in the Northern Territory. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. Yeah. Did, did you feel there were cultural differences with with that sort of discipline? Yeah, I think. Um... I honestly didn't care what the Western view was. Right. If they needed a whack, I'll give them a whack. Yep. And Lynn got more whacks than the two brothers. Okay. And she's, she still says she, she doesn't forgive me for that. Yeah, right. But, but <laughs> the di discipline was, uh, I mean, children in my day and age got whacked. I remember getting whacked many times. <clears throat> so, but it definitely. I think, I think it says clearly it's spare the rod and spoil the child. Right. What's your feeling on that, Catherine? Uh, well, I, I, well, I, I think Pete did get a few whacks along the way. So did Andy, but but I, I don't like it. I, I I think there are better ways of doing it, really. 
I think um, I think you can well try try and reason with them. I'm not sure how far you get, but mm. I, I I just don't like it. Mm. I remember when the twins were born. Um, Fiona's grandmother, who I would say at best was five foot five, um, sat there one day and said to Fiona and I, you know, you you really shouldn't. Um, we hadn't, obviously, because they were still babies, but you really shouldn't smack children. I, I completely disagree with it. And Fiona said, I remember you smacking me many times when I was growing up. <laughs> I, know. I think it's, it's just a, it's a change of, of, of mind yeah. these days. I, too. I mean, where, where I was at school, I shouldn't be talking here, but where I was at school, they were simply not allowed to touch us in any way, um, you know, no discipline at all, in no physical discipline at all. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, what did they do, freeze you out? No, they, there were other ways of disciplining you. Like, like I was a boarder, so perhaps you didn't go home on Sunday, that sort of thing. Uh, okay. Mm. But, uh, withholding meals. Yeah. No, no, not withholding meals. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a boarding school, not prison. Sorry. sorry yeah. <laughs> so, so, Lena, um, what were your aspirations for Leon as a child? What, what did you think would be the ideal profession and, and situation for his life? At one time, Pete, um, I couldn't believe he was such a ardent Christian and an evangelist. Mm. He actually um, witnessed to one child, a colleague, uh, um, a teenager friend of his, who later became married and became a missionary. Mm. And she came back into our lives to share, and she said, "You know who led me to Christ? Your son." Wow! Right. Mm. So at that point of time, I thought, "My God." This guy might go, you know, to Bible college and take up that line of work, and uh, mm. it suited me as well. Mm. But um, when he finished his degree, uh, I mean, he started on um, computing. Poor fellow, I forced him into it. I said, "That's mm -hmm. the way to go." In the eight, you know, eighties, uh, early nineties, you know, that's there. The bread and butter is there. Always the job is there. But he hated. He said he hated that idiot box which was a computer. <laughs> <laughs> but um, after that first year, then he gave that up and did economics and finished economics. But I think in his heart, he always wanted something more than just economics. And then he, uh, when he finished his economics, he packed a car. Can you believe? Mm. A car that we bought for $1,000. Mm. And he drove it all the way and drove it to the ground before they reached Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, I probably wasn't going to go there, but I guess I need to go down that path. Obviously, Christianity and, and faith is, is very strong for you, Lena, and, you know, I know that through our own conversations. How, how do you feel about where Leon sits now with his religion and, and Christianity? I have faith that, you know, God's promised to us, you and your family, right? One saved the, the family. This is in Joshua. Me and my family, is Lord, we will serve the Lord, right? Once you've got it, it is in your system. You mm -hmm. can rebel as much as you like. And then you will have to pay the price for the rebellion. But eventually, ultimately, salvation is in Christ Jesus, right? It's not Hinduism. It's not Buddhism. It's not the Muslim faith. Eternal life and salvation 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, every single day, every day, I pray for my children. And I pray for them by name. I pray for my grandchildren by name. And I just leave it in the hand of the Lord. Mm. For me, Peter, absent in the world is present with the Lord. Not one iota of doubt. That's how confident I am. And I share the gospel with any, anybody who comes to my house will get a track, a message, a handwritten message. They get it and that's it. And then I say, it's, what they do with it is not my, my business. Mm. My business is there's a mandate. You are saved to save others. Mm. Okay. What would you describe as Leon's greatest achievement? His greatest achievement is finding himself, right? It was always a question of, I don't know, there was some aspect of, I think I never thought Ian had it, but Leon was a confident. He was always very methodical. He was what you call a cleric, you know, in the, you know, looking at that, in that methodical, all his eyes dotted, his T's crossed, that kind of a discipline. So I knew he would be successful. Whatever path, whatever choice he made, he would be successful. But what I'm so proud of my son is his choice of a partner in marriage and the beautiful relationship he has with Cindy. I was going to ask you about her um, right at the end because obviously being Mother's Day, um, Cindy being the, the mother of your, some of your grandchildren anyway. Uh, wh- when did you first meet her and, and what were your first impressions? The, I met her in Darwin when Leon was already going out with Cindy. Um, and then I, I used to go to Darwin at least once a year to visit them. And then Leon and Ian said, Mom, we are renting places. Why don't you buy a place in Darwin? And then we both can stay and then we'll pay off the mortgage for it. So that happened. And then that visit when I went to Darwin to meet Cindy, uh, she came to see me. And of course, she was polite. She wanted to make a cup of tea. So she looked at me and she said, "Um, uh, excuse me, Lena, would you like a cup of tea? And I didn't answer her. Right. And Leon picked it up straight away that she was calling me by my name. So he said, Cynthia, and called her and then walked off to his bedroom. And he said, you will not call my mother by her name. Mm. The poor thing came back and asked me, Leon said, I'm not supposed to call you Lena. So what do I call you? And I said, "Um, correctly, you will be calling me mommy. That is mother-in-law in the most respectful term. Mm. But um, most people, no one calls me by my name. All of Leon's friends and anyone, any contact call me Auntie Lena. But I'm not your aunt. So you can't call me Auntie. So you're stuck. If Leon won't let you call me Lena, you can't call me Auntie. And you're not ready to call me Mommy because you're not ready to Right? So how are you? (laughs) So what she did is she just stopped calling me. She'll just come up to me and call me and talk to me. And then she'll refer to me as Leon's mother. Leon's mother said that. Leon's mother asked me to do that. 
right? Mm. Until the day she got married. And she came, she just, after uh, uh, they got married and they came out, and of course, the both sides, the parents, on one side I was with Ian, and the other side, her parents. And I congratulated her, and she said, thank you, mommy. So where does that come from? That, that's, I mean, that, that's extremely formal. I know in my childhood uh, it, it was a, a respect thing that you would refer to your friends' parents as, you know, Mrs. Smith or Mr. Smith mm. or whatever. But I think by the time we reached teenage years, that well and truly went out the window. Yes. So where, where does that come from? Typical culture. Uh, Typical Tamil culture. Same today? Yes, yes. Okay. No, that part of it was, you know, that's why Leon's children call me Apache. Yep. Lynn's and Ben call me, calls me Amama. We've never changed any of that. So my, my old friend who I worked with in Sri Lanka, actually, but he's of uh, Filipino, or he, he's Filipino, um, but he lives in Singapore these days. Um, he, he introduced me to the concept of anybody older than you who's a female is auntie, anybody older than you who's a male is uncle. So that's mm. taxi drivers, that's mm. you know, people working at the train station, anyone yeah. and everyone. Yeah. Um, so I, I understand that, but it's, it's definitely not part of Western culture. Western culture, yeah. And yeah. we still, right? And that's why when um, Australian boys come to the house and then Leon is talking about, Mom, are we going to Auntie Pat's house? And then, and then, you know, Auntie Florence said that she, she called <laughs> you. And he said, how many relatives do you all have? <laughs> and then Leon made it clear. He said, some are genuine, real aunties. Yeah. And some are fake uncles and fake aunties. Yeah. So later on, Leon would say, Elliot, we're going to uh, Auntie Pat's house, but she's a fake auntie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I have two final remaining questions uh, that probably were going to be asked by me anyway, but these have come from Scarlett, who's my nine-year-old. And she asked, do you like being a mum and why? And I'll extend that to grandmother as well. Yeah, I think I always enjoyed being a mom. I I felt I, I, I really that I have a very strong maternal instinct, that protective maternal instinct, and and um, being a mom to in our family was protecting the children from the dad. Now he had his own issues, God bless him, but uh, he took it out on the two boys. So mm. I always had to be um, jumping up there to protect, particularly Ian. Not so much. Leon could stand up for himself. right? And I know um, at one time when Noel whacked them, I don't, I don't know for what reason, we were in Albany. And then he, Leon said to me, Mom, I'm telling you now, when I turned, I don't know, 18 or something, if Dad, we didn't know that he was going to leave us by then, if dad whacks me, I'll whack him back. Thank God that never happened. He left before that. I remember my cousin once said to me that um, it's, it's every, bo- every boy's rite of passage at some point to have that altercation with their father. And, mm. um, yeah, obviously it doesn't happen in every family, but everyone's got their own issues to deal with. Um, 
So I, I, I understand that sentiment very well. Mm. Um, just on that, uh, and, and it's a bit remiss of me because I did know that you haven't always lived in Perth since you've been in WA. So what's the connection with Albany? Was that to do with your teaching or, or, or how did that come about? The principal in Albany um, was a Christian friend of mine. He, he, he called me from Albany and said, we desperately need an English teacher here. And um, if you come to Albany, I can vouch save that I can give you permanency. Mm. That was a ticket for me to go. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Uh-huh. So just, um, I'm jumping around a bit, I'm sorry, but with the, uh, the mother versus grandmother, which do you prefer? Grandmother. Yeah. This is wonderful because you can hug them, kiss them, and then drop them. And, and then, them back. Yes. And <laughs> them back to the parents and yeah. then you are free to do what you want. Yeah, fair enough. And and Scarlett's other question was, do you celebrate Mother's Day? I don't particularly, uh, but the children remind me, of course, with the Leon sends flowers and there's a card will come and they call me on Mother's Day. But the church celebrates it very beautifully. Mm. They make a big thing about Mother's Day in church. Okay. So, and there's a, a special lunch and, and, and all of it. So this, I don't think I've ever missed, if, I, if I'm in Perth, going to church on Mother's Day. Mm. Well, Lena, um, you've, you've passed the Territory Story Mother's Day quick 20 questions quiz. Well done. Thank you very much. It was good chatting with you guys. Now let's hear Catherine. But by, by the look of the messages I've been receiving from Leon, our, our friendship may take some time to improve. But anyway. <laughs> well, Catherine, you have been extremely patient sitting there. No, uh, thank, thank you. Fine. Thank you very much. Very interesting listening to everything. Well, that's the whole reason I actually suggested to Peter that uh, he might go first because uh, I knew you were feeling uh, slightly anxious about what I might be asking you. And so, <laughs> and I knew my mother wouldn't care one iota what the questions were. So. <laughs> um, but I, I, it's I may need to repair the relationship with our audience over over kiss and things like that. I actually do <laughs> my kiss. <laughs> uh, and... Um, Yes. We had kiss posters all over. Peter had them all over his room. So did mm. I. Kiss posters. Well, well as, a, as a, I guess nowadays I'd call myself a, still a part-time practising DJ, um, I Was Made for Loving You would still get an appearance at uh, uh, probably 50% of the parties that I do. So yeah, it's, right. uh, it's mm. terrible to hear that. If Leon had his way, we, we would never have heard of him. Yes, yes, yes. Well, we could talk about that on another podcast, mate, because if we went there right now, it'll be three hours before we finish. Um, so, Catherine, just to sort of, I guess, get into the groove of the whole thing, uh, I'd like to start by asking you, where, where were you born? I was born here in Melbourne. Right, okay. And you've lived there your whole life? I've lived in Melbourne my whole life. Right, okay. So, yeah, a little bit insular, but I've enjoyed it. I'm happy. Right, right. Some, and, would, and, some would say, how very Melbourne of you. Yeah, well, maybe they would. Well, that's, that's it. I'm a Melbourne girl. Right. And in terms of heritage, you trace your history back to which part of um, Europe? Um, England and Ireland, mainly Ireland. Right. Yeah. Just like yeah. my mother-in-law. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. Uh, and and do, are you are you able to trace your history back, or is it a little bit uh, sort no, of? No, no. Well, yes, on both sides, but both my sets of grandparents were born in Australia, and but their parents came out from um, from Ireland. I've actually got a cousin who's a, who's a wonderful historian, and she's she traces everything back, and it it comes from Ireland. I think Clonmel is where my my mother's family came from. I'm not sure about Dad's family, but but Ireland. Right, right, yeah. right. Okay, and and uh, so what was it like growing up in Melbourne back in the uh, well, it was fifties. It, it was very. Um, I had a very happy childhood. I lived uh, with my parents and my sister and brother, and we lived in Hawthorne. And my father had a surgery on the side of the house. The old-fashioned surgery where patients sort of walked down the side path and that was the way it was then. So we had a very happy childhood. Um, uh, my, my mother's mother came to live with us when I was in my teens because she was going blind and she came from Echuca and came down to live with us for quite a number of years. And we was packed off to boarding school, not for that reason, but um, just because the house was such a busy house and um, and that's what happened. So... We went to boarding school, but it was it was it was a very happy, noisy um, household. So you lived in Hawthorne. Where where would you go to boarding school? Well, I, I'm ashamed to say Sacre-Cœur over in Glen Iris, which is about a five minute tram ride. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what that's what happened in those days. A lot of city girls and boys boarded. Um, that's just the way it was. I mean, not anymore. They're they're just country country people but that's the way it was um, right uh, yeah yeah city city children boarded okay um, yeah, yeah and so you and, grew and up go ahead i was i was i was happy at boarding school it was absolutely fine i only boarded for the last three years right mm. and so you finished school and then what did you do i finished school and i went to rmit and did a secretarial course there that my father chose for me. I actually thought I'd like to be a nurse, but he said, mm, I don't think you cut out to be a nurse. I think <laughs> it could be all gruesome for you. I don't know why he thought that, but he did. So um, I went to RMIT and I did a secretarial course and then I had some really terrific jobs that I loved. I, I worked at the University Appointments Board where we organised jobs for the students and the graduates. That was a great job. And then I worked at the American Consulate um, uh, for a number of years and that was a great job too. They were terrific to work for. And, um, yeah, so in a secretarial manner, that's, that's, that was my job. And, and did you travel much at all? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't travel until really in the last 20, 25 years. I didn't travel at all because I got married very young well when I say that early 20s mm. um and um and I had Andy f within a year and then Pete a couple of years later and only what's two it boys. sorry only two boys just the two boys yeah and what's yeah. the what's the age difference between the two boys um about oh about two and a half years about right. two and a half years yeah, yeah. right 
Okay. Um, let me just pull up my questions. Now, Peter was very insistent on that uh, I send you the questions because um, <laughs> he said you were a bit concerned. I did say quite an idea of what I'm going to be asked. <laughs> Pete, we've got a bit of background noise happening there, mate. Plenty of noise. Well, I've got five kids. What do you want me to do about it? <laughs> Take a leaf out of your mother's book. <laughs> it's a bit late now. Too late, mate. Too late. Uh, but yeah, actually, that's a, that's a very good point, Lena. Boarding school is on the way. <laughs> so, um, okay. Uh, so you've got the question. So none of these will be of a surprise to you. Was Pete a planned pregnancy or an accident? Um, he wasn't planned. He wasn't unplanned. He just happened. Right, right, um, right. So he was very much wanted. We wanted a second child and there he was. Okay. So, and was he a good brother to Andy? Yeah, I think so. I think he was. Um, he he was he was quite a demanding child in lots of ways. Um, but he, yeah, I think I think he was. I think they they had fun. I think they had their arguments along the way too. But I think they had fun growing up. I hope they did. Right, right, right. And who was your favourite? I look. I, <laughs> I don't, have a favorite. I don't even go there, you idiot. <laughs> I don't have a favourite. I, I never have. And I always remember my dad had a story about how he was asked to um, judge a baby show. Yes. And he said, how could you say yes to that? Nobody can judge a baby <laughs> show. He said, I'd lose half my patience if I did that. <laughs> you can't pick one baby over the other, and I never have. Right, right, right. Well, I, look, I mean, as, as a parent myself, I mean, it's just the hardest question. I mean, you, you don't, you well, can't. you can't They're answer that question. They are, exactly, exactly. And so, uh, you know, whilst your children may very well think you have a favourite, uh, yes. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think at the end of the yeah. day, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, you don't have a favourite, you just have Aspects of each of them that you like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I can just butt in, Leon always thought I favoured Ian. Exactly. He's your favourite son. He's your favourite son. And ask Linda as well too, by the way. It wasn't. It was Ian needed more protection from his father than Leon did. Leon, um, do you you want me to get a counsellor for our next episode, mate? No, I I just want to get a new (laughs) (laughs) co-host. Cool. Uh, Okay, so um, Catherine... Um, those that have met Pete know that Pete's got a bit of a bad back and it's, yep. uh, it's an issue that he's had from childbirth. Yeah. Um, I'm always interested in this type of thing because my brother um, has got a, has got a, a young daughter who's uh, deaf yep. and I remember when she was born and they had just figured it out and, I mean, the way science is these days, they figure, them out, figure this sort of thing out in the first week, which is just extraordinary. Mm. Um I remember him ringing me up and we were having a conversation about it and and I said, because, you know, I've not had to go through this before, um, you, you could tell that there's angst in a parent because, you know, they sort of think, you know, have they done something wrong or, or mm-hmm. something like that. And mm-hmm. I, I guess I was wanting to know, um, when you found out about Peter's back problem, um, uh, do you remember how you felt about that? 
Well, Peter's, he wasn't actually newborn. He was about 12 or 15 months. So it was really when he started sort of to walk. Yeah. We thought there was, and, and, and it was, it, it was more a feeling of anxiety than, um, you know, just to just to try and work out what it was and what and what we could do about it. So um, we um, we took him to my dad, and then he just said, "Look, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure about this." So then we he suggested we take him to a family friend, and he 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 said, "Come round. We'll have a barbecue, and I'll just observe him," which he did. And he said, I don't know what this is, but we need to investigate it further. So he he referred us to the children's hospital. So we went there for a long time. We went there for many years, didn't we, Pete? Affirmative. Affirmative. Too many years? Yeah, a, a long time um, because they really couldn't come up with a diagnosis and mm. they really never have. But so we just went through what was to be done, which was a, a number of operations and things, um, to help as best we could. Um, and really, the, there's, I don't know whether Pete still goes to see anybody, but we sort of finished with the children's hospital and and he just has just always managed on his crutches and, and managed extremely well. Um, Explained about in is never once have I heard him. That was just the way it was, and okay, so here we are. Do you feel? um, Do you feel that you had to overcompensate for Peter? Um, Not intentionally. intentionally. Um, I think there were obviously things that we had to do for him that he probably couldn't do himself or needed help with himself. But I don't think we ever overcompensated. I think it was just a matter of, well, that had to be done, so we just did it. Right. You know, it wasn't a... It okay. Wasn't, yeah. Um, what makes you most proud of Peter? There's lots of things that make me proud of Peter. There's lots of things I could whack him for, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I never have. But I, I think Pete is possibly the most courageous person I know. I think he's just amazing. From the For 48 years he's had this problem and he's never once ever, ever said why me or complained or or anything. So um, I, I just think he's amazing. Um, and there are lots of stories about Pete that make me proud and one of them was um, uh, when he was at school and he was playing playing football. I don't even think they had a full team that day, did they, Pete? Father Stoney's team. I don't even think they had a full team. Anyway, Pete said, well, I'll play. I'll make up the numbers. So he was out there and they um, somebody handballed the ball and he handballed it onto someone else who kicked the goal and the siren went and they cheered Pete off. So, the whole, I mean, it's just amazing. The way he just throws himself into everything, and it was, it was a bloody good handle. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, this and he, and he won the, the he won the headmaster's prize for persistent endeavour on Valete night. So that was the big night. You know, all the year twelve students, all their parents. It must have been about eight hundred people with all the teachers, and and Pete won that prize. And I thought that was just extraordinary. So that was the school recognising it too. 
which was amazing. So there's lots of stories like that about Pete. But um, but I think his best achievement is is Fiona and the children. I mean, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? Yes. It pretty is amazing. amazing. Uh, I am amazed every day, every time I talk to him, I even know. right now. So, so am I. I mean, I, if you told me when Pete was a teenager in his early 20s that he'd have five children, I'd say, what? <laughs> anyway. Not, not, not to the same woman anyway. anyway. <laughs> they're, all, they're all terrific and they're all very welcome. They're great. But that's it, Pete, no more. <laughs> no, From your mum, no less. <laughs> no problems there. No <laughs> so what annoying habits uh, did he have as a kid oh. and does he still have them now? Um, as a kid, uh, well, he, he loves a surprise, Pete. He loves, you know, give, shocking you. He loves to give you a shock and he, he has given me quite a few <laughs> Uh, and one of them was the, the when he rang me, I was away down at Flinders for a few days and he rang me. It was I think it was coming up to New Year's Eve. Um, anyway, he rang and he said, you need to come home. And I said, what's the matter? And he said, there's nothing the matter but you need to come home. I said, well, I'll, look, I'm awfully sorry, Pete, but we've got people for dinner and I'm not just going to leave them in the lurch. I'll come home in the morning, which I did. And um, he and Fiona were there, and I said, um, what, what, what is this? Why did I have to come home? And they said, well, we just thought you'd like to know we're married. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's it, the sort of thing that he likes to do. Right, right. And so you eloped, Peter, or what did, did you do? Oh, he did. Correct. He did. <laughs> yep. We did have a we did have a um a beautiful party a few months later, didn't we, Pete? Yeah, we um it was great. But I always we, thought if he was going to get married, I'd actually be at the wedding, but I wasn't. Uh, <laughs> but we had a great party. Right. We had mm. a great party. And and I and I just thought too, look, if that's the way they want to do it, that's fine. That's fine. Right, mm. right. But uh, yeah, so and, so he does have a few annoying habits. He loves um, <laughs> he loves to keep you waiting. That he does. Oh, that he does. He's been like that his whole life. Right. Keeping everybody waiting, and everybody just waits until he's ready. <laughs> yes, yes. But, well, in in fairness to me, would you rather walk into a room that's full of people? Or be the first in the room. I'd rather be on time, Pete. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm always on time, always. Yeah, it's just much easier when everyone's there. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, I can see your mum and I getting along really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, we talked about Fiona. What were your first thoughts about Fiona? Well, we've already talked about the, when they were married, but the first time I met Fiona was actually in my kitchen at one o'clock in the morning um, mm -hmm. and she was in a beautiful sleeveless black dress and they'd been to a party. I don't know whose party, but anyway, so Pete wakes me up. Mum, I want you to meet someone. I said, Pete, it's one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I mean about how he loves to shock you. Yes. Anyway, I came out in my dressing gown and there was this beautiful girl in this beautiful dress and so well, I think we had a cup of tea. Um, but I thought she's the one, I can tell. 
Right. Like, and and Pete, I said, what are you, what are you doing? Where are you going? What, what? He said, we're driving to Albury, which is about four hours away. I said, you can't take this beautiful girl to Albury at one o'clock in the morning. What are you doing? He said, no, it's all right. Parents, no, it's fine. I said, I bet it's not fine. But anyway, I couldn't stop them. But that's what happened. <laughs> no, but I did think she was lovely and I thought this is the one. Right, because there was no short of ones from what I understand. Uh, Pete, you know, he probably went through half of uh, Victoria the way he's been talking. There were, uh, there were a few girls before that, yes, but this, this was the one. I, I knew that. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's uh, very. Uh, and it's been a very, uh, very happy. They're very happy, and they've got those beautiful children. Um, sort of late starters, I suppose, Pete. But um, because I've got three big grown-up grandchildren and these five little ones. Right. So, so it's good. It's good. Okay. Final question: What have you enjoyed most about motherhood? I think just watching them grow up, being independent, being healthy and now happily settled. I think that's probably, I think that's what any mother wants really or any mother and father. They just want their children to be happy and, and they are and they're, they've got great wives and great families. So I don't think you can ask for much more than that. And they're both healthy, strong boys, so that's good. That's good. So I feel I feel that's a bit of a success story, really. Well, on that note, Pete, I'll, I'll hand it back to you, mate. I think uh, it was a very, very nice way to end. Yep, I agree. Um, I guess we can only thank both of the mothers again, Lena Logan-Nathan and Catherine Gowers. You should recognise the surnames if you're a listener. Um, yeah, like Leon said, we, we planned this 12 months ago. It didn't happen for whatever reason, but it was great talking to you both and hearing Pleasure. your perspective. I hope, on... I hope we've enlightened you a little bit about you, oh, your good selves. Well, you've and, done more than that, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, be repairing, I'll be repairing the damage for the next six months. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I think it's especially with the kisses. <laughs> Don't worry, mate. I've got some digital versions you can borrow. Of mine. <laughs> I, I'll just finish this by saying it's always good um, when when you get people talking about a topic that they know a lot about because mm-hmm. you you get plenty of detail. So um, again, thank you for both coming on and talking to us for this special Mother's Day edition of the Territory Story podcast. A pleasure. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. And and happy Mother's Day. Thank you so much. Thank you. You too, Lena. Thank you. You've been listening to the Territory Story podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story podcast on all leading podcasting platforms The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.